I want to talk about more than a baby. You know, when, when Mary, she, on the side, she sat back and, and, and watching. I mean, I'm sure Joseph was all over the baby and worried and everything, trying to protect the baby from the germs and from, from the shepherds and everything. But Mary, it says, she pondered all these things in her heart. And I think a missing element of Christmas is that pondering. Uh, I have a... a I have a couple of traditions we do in our home at Christmas, and my kids have always hated it, but now they're doing it themselves. But And that was, we would open up on Christmas morning, some people do it Christmas night or whatever, but on Christmas morning, we would open up one gift at a time. And so everybody's, all the collection of gifts in front of them. And so we'd go around the room and we'd say to, you know, just pick somebody, all right, Joel, you're first. He would open his gift, he'd look at it, show it, we'd all, oh, wow, that's nice. And, he would say thank you, and then we go to the next one. It took a long time to go through gifts. But you know, it actually became a memory instead of a mayhem. And uh, we pondered, and, and, and people really appreciated the time that it took to, uh, to appreciate the gifts and to look at them instead of just, <laughs> and throw them all behind you. So um, let's ponder some things this morning about this baby. We're going to... Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah, actually, yeah, Isaiah chapter 9, if you'll take go there real quick. While you're going there, let me just tell you, I'd like to brag on a baby this morning. Not that my wife is having one. Now, through the years, I have bragged on my children's births. And, I mean, five children is no mean feat. Amen, Eileen? Amen. Five children is no... Mean feet. It may be mean, but it's not mean feet. Anyway, Sharon was our first baby. She's 31 years old this January. Crazy. And uh, I remember when she was born, I couldn't believe I was a daddy. And the little bitty baby. Um, and I was so proud of Nita, and I was just so overwhelmed with our first child. And we named her Sharon Rose. And it was just, it was just awesome. And everybody just said, oh, that's the most beautiful name, Sharon. Da, 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 da. But she was just a beautiful child. And, and Joel, well, I broke, I broke the law. Because for an hour and a half, I drove way beyond the speed limit on the New Jersey Turnpike, way beyond the speed limit, just to get to the birth because Nita had gone for a walk with her mom and dad who had come up to, um, uh, to sort of encouraged the pregnancy along. She was just, you're supposed to be active instead of just sitting around. So she took, went for a walk. Anyway, we didn't have mobile phones back then. So on the walk, she started to have contractions. And so my father-in-law, my uh, wife's dad, he goes back to the house and he phones me. Now I'm actually, sorry, he's not, I'm, I'm at, a, at a very important meeting two hours from the hospital. And of course, uh, I'm phoning about during every break, every hour, whatever, see what's going on. And nobody's at home because they went for a walk. Anyway, my stepfather, uh, my uh, father-in-law has to stay at the house, wait for me to call to let me know that they've gone to the hospital. So I phone up and I says, how are things going? She's having a baby. And I went, ah. So I ran and I says, I'm gone. I can't stay for the meeting. And I got in the car and I said, Lord, I know I'm doing wrong, but I won't be there for the birth of my first son. I was talking Southern. I was talking heavenly language. And I said, Lord, Close the eyes of every 
police officer and state trooper and guard on the road and get me to the hospital before that boy's born. So I took off. I'm not going to tell you how fast I drove, and I would never encourage anybody else to do it. But I wanted to be there. I knew as a boy. We didn't know, but I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. This is going to be our boy. And uh, got there, and I got there 15 minutes before that boy came out. It was awesome. It was awesome. Ruth, well, I, I have to tell you, when Ruth was born, um, uh, it, she was, it, was, it was tough on Nita because at the last minute, they changed the doctors on her, so this, this nobody just comes in and says, I'm here to take your baby, you know? And we're like, no, no, we want the doctor we had been with and been prepared for and everything. So anyway, so Ruth is born, and it's so wonderful. And I go into work two days later, and I've got a box of, of candy bars. Now, you know about Snickers, and you know about, um, what are the other candy bars? Uh, Mars bars. Well, there's a bar in America called Baby Ruth Bars, all right? And they got caramel and nuts and all that stuff. So anyway, I started handing out Baby Ruth Bars. And they're all going, okay, what's the deal? And I says, we had a baby. Well, we know. What's the name? <laughs> Get it? And these guys are all PhDs and masters in, in all kinds of different levels of education. I've and the baby's name is Ruth. Anyway, you had to explain it to him. But I, I tell you, uh, uh, Joshua was next, and I can brag on. Uh, we had to get to the hospital. It was 1 a.m. How come all babies are born at 1 a.m. in the morning? But most of them are. Anyway, had to get to the hospital, uh, and wonderful gifts. And Sarah, Sarah got born here in Ireland, the old Victoria Hospital. And uh, uh, I just, I, I got to be there for every one of them. I can brag on it. I was there. Man, it was such a joy. Uh, but I want to talk about the birth of another baby. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah 9 and verse 2. No, I said 9 2. I mean, yeah, 9 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. In almost all religions, men seek to become as gods. Many religions have gods becoming men. But in Christianity, God became a baby. It's amazing in itself that God would, would step down into his creation and let his creation murder his son. Who then would get up three days later and forgive and save anyone who would just believe on him and follow him. Truly, Jesus was more than just a baby. Amen? Now, I just want us to sit and ponder him and his marvelous birth as we get closer and closer. What is it, like 15 days till Christmas? So let's ponder him. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to meet with us. Father, thank you already for the morning we've had. You're worth the effort. And I, I am ashamed to say that in this day and age, most Christians, definitely most people, don't think you're worth anything. They wonder, what does Jesus have to do with Christmas at all? Lord, if there's anything I could do, I wish I could strip away everything and say, Lord, if there's nothing else to have or to do at Christmas, it is to honor and worship you. And remember that day, and that birth, what you did in that miracle of that birth. 
Lord, I pray that we would take it very seriously that the purpose of this church is to remind us of why you came. And to keep being a light in this world that needs to hear that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Lord, save somebody today. Encourage everybody through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, go back to Isaiah chapter 7 here, and I want to say that Isaiah is the Christmas book of the Old Testament. What do I mean by that? In Isaiah alone are at least 30 clearly impossible descriptions of a coming Messiah that only an eternal God could have laid out ahead of time. This is the Christmas book of the Old Testament. It speaks of the coming Son of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. It starts off there and says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Go to chapter 11. We'll skip chapter 9 here. We'll come back to it a little bit. But chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch, we say. A branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Go to um, verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign, a sign of the people. To it shall the, that's us, the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Speaking of the Messiah, go back to verse 4, another one. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity, with justice, for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Go to chapter 35. Chapter 35. These were all, these were Christmas verses to the Jew as they read and they discovered somebody was coming who would bring justice who would bring peace, who would bring rest, who would, who would fix everything. Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 3. Strengthen ye the weak hands. Confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that of a fearful heart. That's Christmas here today. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. You ought to underline those words. Not that... God would send an angel, but that God himself would come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then shall the eyes of the blind, then the eyes of the blind shall be what? The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man, we'd say crippled man, leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For, the wilderness shall, uh, shall, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Go to chapter 40. Uh, didn't a lot of that stuff happen? When Jesus came. Now, we're looking back on it, but think about all of these scriptures that so encouraged the Jews to look forward to his coming. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for who? All right, now sometimes people say, well, Jesus is not God. Well, wait, wait, this is the voice of John the Baptist preparing a highway for God. Verse 4, every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, 
And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places made plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken. Go to Isaiah 53. Well, I'll just hold there for a second. Don't, don't go there. i got a lot to say. I'll come back to Isaiah 53 in a little bit here. But there are there is at least 30 descriptions that are impossible to describe way out in advance. And, and this, is, this is what's crazy. Some of these things, Isaiah's written 750 years before the birth of Christ. So they're describing that crippled people will jump and, and leap like, like deer on the hillside. Um, uh, people who can't speak will be able to speak. People who are blind, even born blind, will be able to see at the coming of the Messiah. Descriptions of, of this event thrilled the Jews as they looked forward to it. Um, and they are each fulfilled in the singular life of just one person. Not multitudes, but just one, Jesus Christ. Now, there are three important things. I want us to go back to chapter 8 and 9 where we spend our time this morning. Chapter 8 and 9, there are three important things, but we have background for you to understand about the Messiah, and they're just breathtaking. Isaiah chapter 8 and 9. <clears throat> now, I'll start you in verse chapter 9 and verse 1, and then we'll go back to 8 in just a moment. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. Go back to verse, chapter 8, verse 22. I will go ahead and say this. Chapter 8 and verse 22, the previous verse before chapter 9. And they shall look unto the earth, and behold, trouble and darkness. Dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Verse, nine, verse 1 of chapter 9, Nevertheless, in the midst of that dimness and anguish, the dimness shall not be as was in her vexation, speaking of Israel, when at the first he, God, lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun. Notice these, these uh, we call them counties, but they call them tribes. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, in what? Not in Jerusalem. In Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen what? They've seen great light. They that dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath light shined. Three things you're going to see leading up to this baby is that God focuses on Galilee and not on Jerusalem. Now, Galilee is this area up here, all right? And so Jerusalem's down here in the middle of what we call modern-day Israel. But this is where all of the bigwigs, this is where all of the money was made. This is where all the politics went about. And, and God said, something's going to happen up here in the back of beyond. Just call that County Clare, okay? And, <clears throat> and these, this area uh, is, 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 is not just, it's not in just circumstance. He says up in Galilee, and he says, by the sea of Galilee. Think about it. Where did Jesus spend most of his time? I mean, he's crisscrossing the Sea of Galilee over and over. That was his ministry. It was prophesied where? Back in Isaiah chapter 9. And God says, in the midst of all of that darkness, light would shine. So God focuses. Sometimes we can write off an area and say, there's nothing happening there. And God says, oh, but there will. <laughs> And when you look in your life and you say, Lord, I'm going through a valley and I'm going, it's, it seems such a dark time. Don't forget, 
The Lord likes to show up and brightly shine in the midst of such anguish and such darkness. Don't forget, that's what Christmas is all about. Back in the 1800s in England, Christmas saved England. Because I, in the late 1700s and early 1800s, something happened in England. I don't know all the ins and outs, but England became more debauched than, than it has ever been. And at Christmas time, it was the darkest time, the most drunken time. It was the most uh, selfish time. And it took Christians taking Christmas, and they started to write Christmas hymns, and they would sing them on the street like we did yesterday. And it transformed England. Carols, Christmas carols saved England from such drunkenness because people were reminded about a baby being born. So don't discount the power of a Christmas hymn, folks. So uh, God focuses on Galilee, which is amazing, instead of on Jerusalem. Secondly, he provides light in such darkness. I thank God for that because as, as, as we grow up in this enlightened age, we think we've got all this information. The more, the more we get into the internet, the more we think we know. When we know nothing, and uh, all of that light and, and enlightenment that we think we have is really just darkness. And I'm glad God steps into our darkness. And I, I thought about this. Uh, in the midst of such darkness, how many people are used to living that way? Most. He describes here in chapter 8, verse 22, they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Look in chapter 9, verse 2, the people that walked in darkness, they're used to it. They live that way. They say that there are towns and villages in, and towns and cities in, in Siberia where for six weeks out of the year, that is noon. There's no sunlight for six weeks out of the year. Did I say six months? Six weeks out of, the, out of the year, there is no sunlight. The suicide rate goes through the roof. All people do is they just, they, they, they can't sleep. They want to stay in bed. They don't want to work. If you had to live in that kind of darkness for that amount of time, back in the 19, early 1980s, Russia, uh, the Soviet Union back then, spent a fortune uh, with an idea they were going to send up a big unfurling mirror. It was a big sheet of mylar that was going to be pointed for a couple of hours a day during these dark times, and they were going to beam the sun, if this thing would work, like a mirror, onto these towns and villages where people were killing themselves because of the darkness. There's a town up there, which is up on the very top in the Arctic uh, uh, Ocean there, where there's uh, nearly half a million people. And so they thought that they could shine sun on that for about, you know, for, for three or four days at a time and then move to another place and then shine sun and just sort of pick everybody's spirits up. Now, unfortunately, it didn't work. It cost a fortune to try to make this mirror. They had to make the mirror like two miles across just to beam enough light to illuminate a city. So, but it didn't work. But think about living like that. The people that walked in darkness. They're like a blind man, not knowing what light is, what colors are, never seeing beauty, never even imagining. Next time you see somebody that's head to toe covered in tattoos, pierced, 
uh, all over their face and their ears and their body parts. And there they are, and they're angry, and they're, you know what they're doing? They're walking in darkness. They have no idea that light could shine. Think about where you'd be if somebody hadn't given you the gospel. Think about the darkness you used to mess with and the darkness of this world. I, you don't have to, to for, you, all you have to do is turn on the TV for 30 seconds and you realize how dark it is. The music and the things that people talk about and stuff, they walk in darkness. And yet God provides such light in darkness. I'm glad for a God who's light. Thirdly, he promises a child. Look in verse 6. We read it just a little while ago. It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Go back to verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall, be, shall not be such as was in her vexation, which at the first lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and in the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen great, a great light. They that dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Economic successes. Uh, look at verse 3. I don't want to stop here. I kind of want to point out this. Look at verse 3. Thou hast multiplied the nation. He's talking about economics. And yet not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken. Why? Where is our joy? They may get excited for a little bit in their harvest. And when they divide a spoil from a war. But God has broken the yoke of his burdens. And the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressors in the day of Midian. There's nothing but warfare. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Wow. In the midst of such darkness, verse 6 says, Unto us a child is born. You know, in the midst of all that, and things haven't changed in 6,000 years, in the midst of war, in the midst of economics, ups and downs and, and disasters and anguish and darkness, the baby's born. And he's worth pondering. He's worth pondering. Let's talk about it for a minute here. Chapter 9 and verse 6 introduces us just with the first thought. i got to say it. He's a real baby. He's a real baby. Now you go and you look in the cribs, and what do you see? A little porcelain baby. We're going to, we, well, one year we had Keith Hamilton's uh, brand new baby. Remember him? Sat still. I thought, we kept looking, going, is he alive? <laughs> this kid was perfect, amen. But normally you have a, a fake baby. And I am afraid that most people think that Jesus is still fake. Okay? He's a real baby. Not a make-believe. He's not a Disney movie. He's not a fable like Santa is. Sorry, parents. You're going to tell your kids the truth. There's no Santa. You're wasting your time. Tell them about a baby. A living, breathing, tiny, little, frail baby. Think about it. That first Christmas night, he couldn't see farther than just a foot or two. He didn't know that he controlled his own hands. He couldn't hold his own head up. He couldn't feed himself. That was the Son of God. Hmm. The humility of God becoming a man. He's a real baby. Flesh and bones and blood. Amazing. He's a prophesied baby. Verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, and he begins to be very specific. He says, A son is given. And he starts to give us some specifics. He's a prophesied baby, not like a pregnancy test. 
<gasps> that, preg that pregnancy test tells you you're going to have a baby. No, he's prophesied by Moses 1,500 years ahead of time. Isaiah 750 years ahead of time. Uh, Micah prophesies 400 years ahead of time. There are more than 300 prophecies of a coming Jewish Messiah, over half of which were fulfilled at his first coming. Here in Isaiah, there are a dozen prophecies clearly telling you that he would be a baby Jewish boy. Was an Irish, was an American, thank God. Was an English, was a baby Jewish boy, a son. Chapter 7, go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We're, we're told that he was going to be born to a virgin. Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a miracle, a sign, something to tell you he's at work. You ever ask that, Lord, give me a sign? Well, here God gave one. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And that's impossible. I know you got, you got all of these fertility clinics and they're messing around with God's business and stuff, and some of that's necessary, I guess. Some of that is, is uh, uh, things going on. But, but what happens is this. A virgin don't normally conceive, and here she was going to have a baby. And anybody who knows anything about science, it's just not possible because of you, to, to have life, you have to have two sets of chromosomes. You, have to have, you can't have the mother's chromosomes alone. You've got to have somebody else's and make it into 46 miraculous sets of DNA that create a human life. So here's a virgin, shall conceive and bear and, and, and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So born to a, to a virgin, would grow up as we read there in chapter 9 in Galilee? Why not Jerusalem? Think about that. It's got to be the craziest thought of, of all that, that Jerusalem is a place to grow up. Jerusalem is a place to be, be taught and uh, under the feet of the greatest rabbis. No, he's taught by his mom and dad. He's known as the carpenter's son. And being the oldest son in the family, he learned the trade of his father. So he's in the most humble of beginnings, the least amount of education. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees came up to him and says, who is this guy? Where did he learn to read and write? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just mind-boggling how people are so... They're so determined to find something wrong with Jesus. He'd grow up up in Galilee. Uh, he would gather, decide, go back to chapter 8. Show you these things filled with this. Verse 16. Bind up the testimony. In that day, the testimony was the law. In that day, people were, were letting the scrolls of, of God's word fall apart. They were being abandoned. They were just being left in closets or being lost. And, and the statement was, go bind up, repair the testimony, seal the law among my what? Are you with me? 8.16? Seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait upon the Lord. This is the Messiah saying this, that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the, God, whom the Lord hath given me, speaking of Christians, but mainly his disciples, they are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. God says, I got some, uh, Jesus says, I got some disciples. And he sure did, didn't he? He would do, as we just read there, he would do miracles to prove who he is. He would grow up meekly. Let's go to Isaiah 53. As I said there earlier, we're going to look real briefly. Isaiah 53. 
and verse 3. See, if you kept reading through the book of Isaiah, you're looking at, you're looking at a, a picture book of, of Jesus, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, and you're seeing him grow up, and you're seeing what he goes through. It'd be like a, um, a photo album of, of your children. This is that book here in the book of Isaiah. And when you got to Isaiah 53, you'll find Jesus growing up, verse 2, most tender. For he shall grow up before him, before God, as a tender plant, not a bully. You know, in, in Greek, uh, when you were a, a leader in, in Greece or you were preparing to be a Caesar or a ruler in Rome, you know what they did with children from the first... From the moment that they could stand on their own, they put a fake um, sword in their hand. And it was a wooden sword. And from the time they were capable of standing, they were taught to fight. They were thrown. They were thrown to the air and dropped to the ground to toughen them up. They were, they were made aggressive. They were taught to be firm. They were made to be leaders. Jesus grew up as a tender plant, meek and lowly. Doesn't mean that he's not uh, 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 masculine, that he that he doesn't have authority, but he's got the right balance. Keep going. Chapter 53, verse 2, he says, He shall grow up before God as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. They didn't paint him up like they did the Caesars. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's an unusual baby. Not he, he, uh, He's not handsome to most people. He's too nice, meek and lowly. He's not what people want in a leader. But he's who we needed. It's who we needed. Grows up meekly. He's despised and rejected. Look at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him. We praised him not. I don't know, rough growing up in that kind of situation. Nobody noticed it. Go on there, verse 4, and in the end you find that child, that baby, carrying our griefs and our sorrows to a place where he would be smitten of God and afflicted for all our sins. Look at verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And hallelujah, with his stripes we are healed of our sins. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. No one would prophesy of a coming leader. Nobody but God would prophesy of a coming leader who would suffer and be defeated. You wouldn't. You wouldn't brag on, on such a future event. You'd try, to, you'd try to spin it, wouldn't you? You'd try to turn it around and say, this is, he's going to be victorious. This is going to be wonderful. No, he's despised. He's rejected. He's smitten of men. He has no form or comeliness that we should desire him. No beauty. That's how God describes that baby. All the way to the cross. His prophecy. Jesus was one amazing prophesied baby. But he's a miraculous baby. Uh, go to Isaiah, back to Isaiah 7. I love the miracles of Christmas. 
And if you'll, if you'll do me a favor, this Christmas, maybe nothing will happen. Maybe. But, you know, if you'll look and you'll anticipate something wonderful happening at Christmas in your home, I think God will do something. Like bring somebody home who hadn't been home in a while. You know, that's what Christmas is. It's the time for the miracles to happen. Now, I'm not telling you, you should tell God what miracle to do, but if you'll look around, if your heart's right and your eyes are looking for the wonder of this time of year, some things will just happen. You go, that's a miracle. This began because of Jesus. Isaiah 7, 14 says this. We've read it already, but look at it. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a miracle, a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I believe all babies are miracles. <laughs> the very fact that life occurs at all in this universe. They just discovered about two months ago, I don't know if you noticed it, science was all in a huff. Because there was a paper written and it was published and it was embarrassing to admit that the universe should not be here. <laughs> These guys are so smart, they say, we should not exist. It's like, what? What are they finally admitting? That it's a miracle. That of course it shouldn't exist. That life shouldn't happen. That rocks don't come together and make planets and make people. You don't, it doesn't work that way. It is a miracle, folks. All of life is a miracle. But the baby here being described is much, much more. As we already said, he's virgin born. He is Emmanuel, which means God in the flesh with us. John chapter 1 says, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a miracle. Jesus said to his disciples, they said, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you and you have not known me? If you've seen me, you've seen me. He's a, he's a specially timed and specially purposed baby. Go to Galatians chapter 4. Hold your place here in Isaiah because we'll come back to it. But Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Everything was timed. Wasn't just, well, it happened. No, look at how it's described here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come at the exact right time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So when it was the right time, with such a specific purpose, Jesus was 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 in 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 chains before Pilate, and Pilate said, Are you a king? And he went, uh, if I were a king, my servants would fight. Uh, I came for a higher calling. Why did he come? He came to take our place. He came to be our substitute. He was specially timed and specially purposed. Jesus is a miraculous baby. Jesus is a born leader. Go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Told you to stay there. <laughs> now, this is probably the most missed part of Christmas. Chapter 9, in verse 6 and 7, let's read these two verses. Just watch here. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, 
the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His, there's that term again, government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even for ever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus is a born leader. Everyone wants Jesus and the Bible to have no part in government. And that is a mistake, folks. No great nation was ever great without following the teachings of Jesus. You wouldn't want to live in a country where people do not take the words of Jesus as authority and live by His commands. People may mock the life and the teachings of this lowly Jesus of Galilee, but His words are the wisest, the smartest, the most balanced words expressing the most perfect and just laws ever spoken. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Somebody strikes you on the cheek, give them the other cheek. There's no great nation on this planet, never has been, that has been ruled with, with force and with armies. The greatest nations have been ruled by the laws of Jesus Christ. So when they say no religion and, and no Bible and all that stuff, they're making a big mistake because the thing they need and the thing that they try to mimic and copy, I haven't met a humanist yet who doesn't agree with everything that Jesus taught. I admit one of them, I'll say, do you think you ought to love your neighbor? Oh, of course, sir. You think you ought to love your enemy? Oh, yeah, you ought to do that. You and I just go through 15 or 16 of the commandments of, a, of, of Jesus, and they go, oh, yeah, I agree with all that. I go, you're a fake. You're a hypocrite. You're following Jesus, and you won't admit it. <laughs> Amen. Jesus is a born leader. From the moment that he was born, when those wise men came, and they kneeled at that crib, what did they call him? The king. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? He's born leader. The Bible says there the, key, the, the, the government shall be upon his shoulders. You ever heard somebody say this? Oh, poor so-and-so. He's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. You ever heard that? Came from this. How about this? Oh, that person, he's a born leader. Really? Well, this little baby was born to govern. Go to Micah. Hold your place here in Isaiah. Go to, the, go to the right. If you get to Matthew, you went just a little bit too far. Find Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. I hope you're not bored this morning. I hope I just take some time and get you to ponder the amazement of that moment of the birth of the Son of God and what was packaged in that little baby Micah chapter 5, in verse 2. Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, a little town, out of all the thousands of towns in Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, they've been from everlasting. Jesus was born to be a ruler. He was born to carry all the problems of this world and to make them turn out for good. Amen. You know what every politician promises when they get elected? I am going to look after your interests. Three months later, he's only looking after his interests. I got to get reelected. Listen, let me tell you this. Every politician tries to promise the world and they can't, they can't meet it. They can't do it. It's, it's nice to actually meet some honest politicians. They'll only be one term, but they'll do the right job. 
and make sure the next time we have an election, and I had wished that we would have one so that this stupid Eighth Amendment wouldn't be even touched, but um, uh, next time you have an election, look for the guys who are real and honest and maybe only be in there one term. Because when they promise you the moon and they promise to take everybody's money and make sure you're happy, it's just a, it's just a robbing game. I just That's my hobby. I'm sorry, I'll stay off of that. One person who can carry the problems of the world and actually make them all turn out for good is Jesus Christ. Romans 8.28 still in my Bible. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. Only one person can make everything that happened in your life turn out for good. He was king at His birth. And according to Revelation chapter 19, it says He's not just king. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He was born to rule nations, to govern governors, and to lead leaders, and to judge judges. That's Jesus. I'm not qualified. Oh, I can give my opinion, but I'm not qualified to judge anybody. But he does, and he will. He's a born world leader. You know what the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, 5, 5, 7. Yes, 5, 7. Casting all your care on him. For he careth for you. How can he take my care and your care and your care and your concerns and your burdens and your panics and your anxieties and your heaviness? How can he take them all? Because he was born to carry the world. He's a born ruler. He's a born leader. Um, and he has no limitations. Go back to Isaiah 9. We read this, verse 7. He says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Now, if you've ever had a job trying to manage people, the more people, the more mess. The more complicated it gets. But with Jesus Christ, no matter how big, no matter how messy things get, He keeps peace. He has no limitations. Think about our modern leaders. Normal leaders wear out, they make mistakes, they get exposed as frauds, and get replaced. <laughs> Nations rise and they fall. But Jesus' governing power will expand forever and ever. You know, he already holds everything together. Did you ever read that in Colossians chapter 2? It says, it says he, he made everything, visible and invisible. And then he does something that's even more amazing. He holds us together. He holds the atoms together, the protons, neutrons, electrons, so they actually stay together. He's the strong force that Einstein said, if you could split that, you could make a bomb. Jesus is mighty. He's, he has no limitations. Now, what does that get you? No matter how complicated, how messy your life may get down here, you ought to give it to Him. You ought to constantly get on your knees and say, Lord, I can't carry this anymore. I give it to you. You can handle the government. You can handle my problem. Please do. Matter of fact, Jesus can take anybody and make them brand new. You say, I'm, I'm 79 years old. He can make you a brand new baby. Make you clean, snow, conscience, washed. He can change. I don't care how hard. I don't care how deep. Doesn't matter how, how awful your life has been. Sin-wise, darkness-wise, satanic-wise. He can make you brand new. Of his government, there shall be no end. There's nobody he can't reach if you'll just stop and go, me. Me. 
all we need is found in Him. I just want to ponder these five thoughts and be through this morning. Because these are worth pondering. These are five mind-boggling, fuse-blowing, unbelievable facts that Chris, about that Christmas baby. Facts that challenge us to believe that He's all we'll ever need. These aren't just words on a page, what we're about to read here in verse 6. They are provable realities to anyone who will trust Him. Look there in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I like that, it's unto us. Christmas is about God giving His Son to us. And the government shall be upon His shoulder. I already talked about that, but here's His name, I love this. And His name shall be called... Five things, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Just talk about that first name. You know, when it says that Jesus is wonderful, it means He's perfect. He's ideal. There's not a flaw or a mistake in Him. You look and you find me a mistake. I had one person, man, I was just... I, I, I challenged him, I says, find me one thing wrong with Jesus. Well, he got angry. And I says, you think that's wrong? Let me tell you about his father. <laughs> because one of these days you're going to stand before him and you can spout off all you want and you will find yourself under the wrath of Almighty God and it's just and it's right. Let's take you to court and let's find out that you just ran over a, a six-year-old chi child there. You had no, you, you had, uh, um, uh, you had no concern for whatever. They catch you and they bring you for the judge and that judge is furious at you. And you'll say, he's right to be. So is God. And when Jesus got angry, it's because he was right to be angry. Don't you say that he was sinning. Don't you dare say that he was doing something wrong because you would do it in a heartbeat. He was not wrong. You can't find one thing wrong with Jesus. Not one. He's wonderful. He's ideal. He's awesome. We were, uh, Nita and I, when we were in California, we rented a, a holiday home up in the woods almost. And uh, so... Sharon and her husband, Luke, and our grandkids came up. And, and, and so we went up there, and it, it was a holiday home next to a farm. And so the farmer's wife came over with a, oh, man, it was, most, it was a beautiful apple tart. And she um, uh, had some homemade cookies, and we were like, whoa. I mean, they were, they were still dripping. They were just fresh out of the oven. They were just awesome. And, and we said, these are awesome. She said, don't say that. And we went, what? That's a word only for God. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, these are so good. <laughs> but boy, she got me to think. She is right. Because Jesus is wonderful. It means he's awesome. And really, the more you know him, the more in awe you will be in him. If you think that your PlayStation games are awesome, you've got some growing to do. Amen. You need to know that Jesus is awesome. He never ceases to be amazing, breathtaking. Go to John chapter 7. I'll show you something. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 44. John 7, 44. Now, they're trying to catch Jesus, trying to trick him, trying to catch his words, trying to get the people to turn against him. And some of them would have taken him, Jesus, but no man laid hands on him because he was so 
looked up to by the people. Verse 45, Then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said unto those officers, Why have ye not brought him? We sent you to go capture him. And the officers answered, Never man spake like this man. He was awesome. We loved listening to him. Do you know Herod? Herod loved to listen to John the Baptist preach. And when he met Jesus, he said, you, you, you talk just like John did. I want to listen to you now. It was amazing. When Jesus sat in, this, in, 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 in the, um, uh, the synagogue in, in Luke chapter 4, and he read from the Isaiah scroll, by the way, in Isaiah chapter 61, he talked about the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Da, da, da. It says everybody thought these are the most gracious words they'd ever heard coming out of because Jesus is wonderful. Listen, if you think that Jesus is just something you talk about on a Sunday or that you use his name as a curse word on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, if that is all Jesus to you and he's not wonderful, I say you're possessed of the devil. Amen. Because he's wonderful, folks, when you get to know him. He's not politics where everybody's slamming each other and you don't know who's right and what's going on. I tell you this about Jesus Christ. He is perfect. He is awesome. He's wonderful. Are you bored? Are you depressed at Christmas? Jesus will make it wonderful. If nobody gives you a gift, God already has. For unto us, unto you, is given a wonderful Savior. He's not only wonderful, he's counselor. You know, I find the schools have counselors. Remember, I haven't go talk to the counselor. Hospitals offer counselors. Courtrooms offer counselors. Today, so many people are seeking counselors for problems and stresses they're facing. That's not all wrong. But if you're born again, Jesus is counselor. He offers a counsel that ought to be sought. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives it liberally. A counselor is not just someone you talk to about problems like a good friend. A counselor is someone who knows exactly what to do, because he knows you. He's seen you before. He can guide you and encourage you. He's a, an advisor. And really, the best word that you can define a counselor is, he's your defense attorney. You know, as a counselor, you have to be smart enough. You have to be wise. You can't just give your opinion. Ah, that sounds pretty bad. I think I would just go die. <laughs> you, want, you want somebody who has some sort of wisdom when they counsel you. Jesus was so wise that at 12 years old, he was blowing away all of the lawyers. Remember that? They stood then just in awe as Jesus taught them the law. As a matter of fact, that little baby lying in the manger is wisdom himself. He's the word of the living God in flesh. He's the wisdom of God, living, breathing. Later, as he taught his disciples, it was pure, wise counsel. Listen to me. That's why, that's why this is a Bible-believing church, but I pray this is a Bible-reading church. Because as you read the pages of this book, he'll give you counsel. You may have to read a couple of pages or a couple of chapters, maybe a couple of dozen, but he's always speaking. Listen to him. Don't just rush through. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep, are you listening? Ladies and gentlemen, let Jesus be your advisor, your counselor, your friend. Ask him for every bit of direction and advice you ever need. 
and ask him first. Don't come asking me, what should I do, pastor? Have you prayed about it? No, then go pray and then come ask. He's counselor. He's the mighty God. Well, this blows away the Jehovah's Witnesses. This blows away most. They can't conceive that a little baby. Remember, we're talking about a little baby here who's called the mighty God. Jesus is not just God, little G, but he's God. And I worship him. Somebody asked me, do you worship Christmas? What? What is wrong with you? I don't worship Christmas, but I worship that baby. Amen. I don't stand and kneel in front of a, a little porcelain doll. Don't get me wrong. That's just an idol. That's just a thing. You start bound before that thing, you're worshiping an, uh, an idol. But I do worship, just like those, um, uh, those wise men, I worship the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as a baby. You worship Christmas. No, no, I just enjoy it. <laughs> That's the mighty God. Amen. You should, hey, if he's so mighty, I think he could help you. I think he'll carry you. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. Now, that's a wild statement. Go to Isaiah chapter 64 now. Here's his baby, who is a father as well. Only God could be both. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8. Do you know a baby has a beginning? But here we're reminded that he is everlasting. He's the everlasting Father. Isaiah 64. In verse 8, as a father, he personally molds and shapes the life of his children like a potter. Isaiah 64 and verse 8. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, and we are the clay, and thou our potter, and we are the work of thy hand. Listen to that phrase. And I... I have found that the pressures that God puts on me, like a potter does the clay, I have found that all the pressures, and anybody in this room, if you're over, if you're over 20, you know what pressure is. If you've gotten married, I got married when I was 23 years old, 22, 23 years old. And the pressures of, man, we had, we had a year and a half, nearly two years later, we had our first baby, and then a year and a half later, another baby, and then a year and a half later. <laughs> you, have, you have pressures, you have you have work, you have bills, you have, you have to buy a car, you have to get another car, all of that stuff. And, and, and you start to look around and you say, Lord, what are you doing? And you remember, he's the potter and I'm the clay. And I found that after all of that pressure, I'm, I'm saved 37 years, married 32 years. All of the stress and everything that goes along with marriage, goes along with child training, goes along with ministry, all that stuff has made me a better man. I, I wouldn't have ever figured out that this is how it should be. I mean, none of it would have asked for the pressure to be put on us. But you know what? He's the potter. He's the everlasting father. He knows what he's doing. He's like a father saying to the kid, Jerry, how many of you ever seen that film called The Karate Kid? I remember that dumb film. I remember seeing that with Joel. I thought it would be a cool encouragement, you know. He got into karate for a year, and then they started moving him on to Sundays, having to do things. We stopped it. But, but remember when that, that old guy said to the kid, he said, I want you to wax that stupid, well, first had to sand it, and then wax that stupid uh, backyard, what was that? A, a, no, it was the car, right. I thought it was the, the porch or whatever. But anyway, I can't even remember it so long ago. But he had to wax it and wax it, wax it, right? And then he had to do more. Hours and hours. 
What was he doing? He was preparing him, wasn't he? He was preparing him for the future fight. I have no idea what the Lord's preparing me for, but he's the potter. And you know, when he puts that pressure on me, he's the father looking down and saying, you need this. Now, maybe Dean doesn't need it. Maybe Sean doesn't need it, but I need to put you through it, and it'll make you a better man. He's the everlasting father. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Unto him shall all the Gentiles seek. You know, I'm some dumb, dog, stupid tech. Shut up. I'll say it, not you. Dumb, dog, Gentile Texan. I wasn't looking for God. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that he was of any importance to me if it weren't for Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that unto Jesus shall all Gentiles seek? Amen. He's the everlasting Father. Here's the best one of them all. He's the Prince of Peace. That means he's the giver of all peace. How does he do that? Well, he intercedes for us. I mean, he comes between the wrath of God and he took the wrath. So that I could walk away free and I could have the peace of God. Let me say this. If you know Jesus, guess what you know? You know peace. If there is no Jesus in your life, I guarantee you. I don't care how much you try to tell me. Oh, I love life. Oh, I'm just, I don't need God. I'm happy. You're a liar. No Jesus, no peace. The peace of God is awesome. And I love having the peace of God. But there's the best peace of all. And that's peace between me and God. How did that, happen, that take place? Through Jesus Christ. He's a prince of peace. Without that baby in a manger, there'd be no peace possible. Glory to God in the highest. And because of Jesus, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Think about it. Isaiah 26, 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. John 16, 33, Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We just barely scratched the surface of all that can be pondered about that little child. It's a real baby. He's prophesied 300 prophecies talking about one baby. He's a miraculous baby. He's a born world leader. All we could ever need, all of those things I talked about, are found in him. Have you found that Jesus is wonderful? You know, I, I, I tell you this, by their fruits you shall know them. I, I, I ask somebody, says, you saved? And somebody will say, yeah, I'm saved. I need to see it. You don't have to work to get saved. But you know, if you are saved, there ought to be some joy. Somebody asks, says, let's go to church. You ought to say, I'm glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. If, if it's just, if there's no joy in your life, I'd wonder, is Jesus there? Because he's wonderful. You say, well, my life stinks. I didn't ask you how your life was. <laughs> I said, how's Jesus? He's wonderful. Have you found him to be wonderful? Do you lean on him as counselor and friend? Who do you go running to when you got problems? Oprah Winfrey? Who do you go looking to? Who are you going to call? Do you trust him as the mighty God? If he's the mighty God, I need, he can handle my weight, my burden. 
Hmm. Does Jesus, the everlasting Father, have the authority to mold and make your life take the shape as he sees fit? Say, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to do this, Lord. And yet I know you're calling me to do it. I, I, I don't, I don't want to stay in this relationship. It's too hard. I don't want to embarrass myself on the work and, 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 and be a gospel witness. I don't want to do that, Lord. Is he the everlasting father or is he not? And is he the prince? And, and, and listen, is he your source of peace? He can be yours today. Prince of peace. Listen, I'm telling you, the prince, the peace of God is awesome. But being at peace with God is far better. It only happens with a personal conversion. It's called being born again. No organized religious act can make you, get you to have peace with God. You say, well, I was baptized. I've been baptized three times. Well, go, go dunk your head under the water and stay there then. It's not going to do you one bit of good. No organized religious act can make, you, can, can make peace with God. No grand effort on your part can make peace with God. No great oratorical prayer, oh, I can speak, can make peace with God. You ever, you ever gotten in trouble with your wife? And you say, I better, I better have a good explanation. <laughs> yeah, you know what? No explanation is going to get past God. You know how to get peace with God? The peace with God? Through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Only a childlike faith and trust in that baby Jesus, who grew to be the man Christ Jesus, who suffered and died on the cross in our place, can make peace. Father, we bow before you right now. It's Christmas. And everywhere we look, Father, Christmas is about us. And it's a shame. about Santa, it's about trees, about presents, food, family. You know, there's a lot of good things the world can't experience at Christmas, Father, but they need to experience an encounter with the Son of God. Lord, we bow before you right now asking you to break our hearts that we've been too busy, too hard, too distracted. And I pray we slow down just a bit, maybe a lot, and keep pondering. Be like Mary. Watch everything going on. and Watch it all surround that little baby. Because that's all of history. It is his story, by the way. Lord, I pray our lives actually are reoriented to focus on that life at Christmas time. And may somebody in this room, right here and now, say, Lord, I want my life to line up with his. And by faith, I'm believing him. God, between you and me, I cry out and I say, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me now. Lord, let somebody trust you as a wonderful God who died for them. In Jesus' name, amen.